Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. This week, we have creator and host of MindShift podcast, Clint Heacock on, and we talk about the authority of the Bible, how it sometimes is manipulated by evangelicals to support their or bolster their claim of what truth is. So enjoy this episode 64 of the Pilgrims of Prodigals podcast. exciting different i've been in been in a different state recently yes different i'm normally just at my house watching my kids or working a different state of mind or a different state of oh state a different state of the (laughs) united states (laughs) i went to pennsylvania to work for my dad because i lost my job recently and when he heard he was like let me pay you to work for me that's pretty cool yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and honestly he needed the help because yeah. This house is out of hand. See, any one of you out there, if you can help your parents, go do it. Even yeah. if they don't pay you. Yeah, no, that's good. Build familial bonds. <laughs> familial bonds, yeah. There you go. Uh, just so you guys know, we have been doing a lot. We have, obviously, this interview we're about to do. I have some other stuff in the works, some huge things I haven't even told Ben about that we're going to talk about. After the podcast, if he's available to stay for a second and talk. But anyone who has been liking the Facebook page, giving us iTunes reviews, Facebook reviews, we love you. Um, Yeah, we appreciate you. Honestly, like the support we've been getting lately for this podcast has been great. Um, I love the community that we're building and I love interacting with you guys. Yeah. On Facebook. I really. The Facebook group is some of my favorite conversations that I have is. Yeah. Through people, you know, like I was, Joseph Shipley being a huge instigator there. I appreciate that. Yeah. I was thinking about it the other day. And if you are not interacting on Facebook groups, on Twitter, whatever, then you are missing probably about 50% of what this podcast is because most of the interactions, more than 50%, I would say about 70% of the conversing and interactions that we have aren't on the podcast, even between us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking back and forth on the Facebook group. If anything, that's where more more of our disagreements even come from. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, so. I enjoy it. I mean, if you guys are listening to this, you want to go over and join the Facebook group. Also, go like and follow the page as well because we need you. That And that's where we, we need you. <laughs> We've always needed you. <laughs> And that's where we share most of our notifications that we do on the actual Facebook page itself or on Twitter. Go follow us on Twitter as well. So, Yeah. Facebook um, group is the most active place, though. If you're looking to start a conversation at that very moment, people will jump on it and talk about whatever kind of controversial, political... Political. Political, religious... You got to say it like Ben whatever, Shapiro. Whatever, religious... Just real nerdy. Political. <laughs> Man, dude, that guy... <laughs> Yeah, no, but if you if you're wanting to get into a talk or you've got questions and you want to know if you know what people's opinions are, um, it's a great place to start a conversation. It is. 
Yeah, just be prepared for it to turn into a 50 to 150 comment thread. Every of time. people disagreeing and arguing with you in the most respectful way you've probably experienced but I love on it. social media. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I love our Facebook group because people disagree so politely. Yeah. It's great. Mm-hmm. Even I, when like the heated debate that me and Joseph were getting into the other day. You know, we're going back and forth, highly disagreeing with one another or just misunderstanding one another because that's a, another thing you get from social media. Yeah. But uh, I don't know, man. The way we left it was was good. We're even talking uh, back and forth right now. And I'm, I've kind of involved some of the other stuff that's in the works that I'm really excited to share with you and share with you, listener, soon. You're going to freaking love it. Yeah. It's great. I'll be the judge of that. I'll tell you if you'll freaking love it. I'll hear what it is. <laughs> also, by the way, did you know most of our listens come from CastBox? Not even iTunes. Our Android listeners are off the charts, man. Really? Yeah, I've been following the analytics pretty closely lately. Yeah. The only person that that I know like is really, really interested in the podcast that's not someone from our inside friend group is... This guy, Wes Puckett, that I used to work with, mm-hmm. he listens to a lot of episodes, and he's an Android user. So I don't know why that Thank was you, Wes. Him. Yeah. Wes, we love you, bro. We love you. Yeah. And hey, you know what? When Someday in the future, after legalization, maybe, just maybe, we can chill. Hey. <laughs> It'll turn into the... Uh... <laughs> Uh, this will turn into the Joe Rogan experience on here. No, no that's that's a different <laughs> level. Definitely a different level. Dude, All that's right. something that I, I spent a lot of time with. We don't have to get too deep into it, but uh, in Pennsylvania, medical marijuana is totally legal and good. Okay. And my dad is paralyzed from the waist down, and he's been on like opiates for a long time. Yeah. And after a while, they just start stop working. And you get closer to that, like, this is not good for my body, is that's how much you need to take to get the same feeling or the same uh, numbing of the pain. Um, so he's been smoking a lot of dope lately, going to the government for it and being yeah. like, hey, give me some of that uh, deadhead OG strain. And the government's like, yeah, that's totally cool because you're paralyzed. Here you go. I mean, in my opinion, I feel like it should be totally legalized across the board, medical and recreational. I don't. I agree, too. I don't see a problem with it. Yeah. I mean, first of all, on a medical level, if you have a problem with marijuana, then you're an idiot. On the recreational side, I mean, look at marijuana compared to, say, alcohol. I have a beer full of fridge right here, and I love drinking beer. That's awesome. Keith, have you been drinking? You just said you had a beer full of fridge. (laughs) I didn't even catch that. (laughs) I'm going nuts, man. I got a beer full of fridge, boy. No, I, the only thing I'm drinking today is hot cocoa oh, and putting my Christmas enough. tree up. It's been a fun yeah. day. Oh, yeah. But on the recreational side of marijuana, I mean, the look at the effects of it compared to alcohol. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You, th- there has been zero statistics on people actually overdosing or dying from marijuana. Yeah. People get alcohol poisoning all the time and die from, from alcohol. Yeah, no, there's it, it should be way le- more legal than alcohol. It should. So I support recreational as well, uh, but especially medical. Like, if you don't have medical marijuana in your state, like, what – your government has failed you. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's completely ridiculous to keep something that's not even harmful from someone who could use it to better their life medically. That's yeah. just – it's like 
basically wrong. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. But now here's the thing is my dad's dilemma is that like for the amount that he smokes, it's $130 a week. So that's really expensive. Uh, but, and, and he was like, it's just way too expensive, man. Like it's cheaper to, it's cheaper to buy it from non-governmental sources because he was buying it before it was legalized from non-governmental sources. And he's like, it's not fair, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dad, look, we got to take the wins that we can. You know what I mean? Like if, if you've been, if we've been dreaming of marijuana being legalized for medical purposes forever, and now it finally is. I don't know. He, his I think that's the like, only why is issue. It cheaper? Why is it? Why is it covered by my insurance for me to get narcotics, and is not covered by my insurance for me to get medical marijuana? Yeah, and that's the only issue with legalizing it is going to be the influx and in pricing and taxation upon it. I mean, that is that's going to skyrocket. But I, I, me personally, maybe it's just because I don't smoke it. But, but if, you, I, if I was those people, I would be like, thank goodness we can smoke in the streets because it's finally legalized. Even if you have to pay more, the freedom and the and the lack of paranoia yeah. and stress seems like that would be priceless. Like, let's party. You know, I think the big <laughs> yeah, the big issue is mainly with jobs. I mean, if, if it weren't for job security, I think a lot more people would smoke marijuana more yeah. openly. Yeah, totally I know true. I would. I mean, I have no problem with it at all. Yeah, me. The either. only issue is the fact that it's illegal. Mm-hmm. If it were open across the board, my company was like, you know what? It's legal, you know, on a federal level, which is it needs to be. It's yeah. it's legal on state levels, depending on which state you go to. Yeah, but if it were open on a federal legal on a federal level, mm-hmm. I mean, that would solve the whole issue. I think a lot more people would smoke. A lot of people would quit drinking. Yeah. A lot of people would possibly get off narcotics and other drugs, mm-hmm. drug addictions. Yeah. It would I think it would just be helpful all around. And if they opened it up to capitalism, prices would lower. If it were legal on a federal level, prices would lower. Yeah, yeah. If it if it was able to be because right now it's not privatized. It's no. all well in Pennsylvania anyway, it's all state facilities that you know they dictate the prices and everything yeah but if you if you make it to where capitalism can affect it i mean like like most things not everything but like most things it gets better whenever you put it in a capitalistic frame i think but no my dad he's crazy bro he's like he's ready to he just bought a box truck he wants to drive it out to like canada nova scotia alaska and like it won't cost anything if it just grows on its own, right? Maybe I'll just go way far away and grow my own and it'll be free. God will give me all That's the marijuana perfect. I want. And I'm like, Dad, come on. You're, you're being crazy. No, but I had a really good time with my dad and that was just an interesting topic that came up while we were there because it's definitely not legal. I don't think it's even medically legal in Indiana, right? I don't think so. No, but I... We're the, we are one of the, I think we're the 13th most conservative state. So it, we're going to be one of the last to legalize it, medical Is, or recre- especially recreational. That's stupid. I think that's a loss for conservatives. You could mm-hmm. still be like, I'm conservative and weed is awesome. Why does that have to mean you're not conservative? I know it's a hot topic, but we can get into this political discussion some other time. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think yep. a lot less people would be conservatives if it weren't for the abortion question. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Like I would be, 
What else? Uh, what else do the conservatives have? That's actually a moral dilemma that needs to be solved. Nothing. I mean, uh, socialized programs. Conservatives don't like that. They're not like healthcare should be is not a right. You got to pay for it. Like they they don't want to social. My biggest thing that you can finish your point, but we got to wrap up. My biggest thing with I think that conservatives are not going to let go of is we should not have socialized programs like government healthcare, government university, government. Yeah, that's my that's the biggest thing is they're like, don't take my money to pay for other people's stuff. Yeah, you take can't. My, well, because most conservatives have a lot of money. They're like, I don't need money to go to college, so don't take it. Yeah, you can't <laughs> you can't take away capitalism to promote a a better future. All right. So without further ado, we are going to get into this interview with Clint Heacock. Yeah. from the MindShift podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. And today, well, I've already done the descriptions and all that, but we've got Clint Heacock from the MindShift podcast back on. How's it going, Clint? Yeah, it's going good, man. It's really good. I'm, I'm having a great time. Thanks for having me on your show again. Oh, we always love it. We always have good conversations when you're on. Oh, uh, Definitely. I've been super psyched to get to talk to you just so you know, yeah. listening, listening to the previous, cool. previous episodes and uh, you know, all the stuff that you post on Twitter and everything. I, I really like a lot of your stuff that you've been posting. So it's awesome. Well, I think a lot of my Twitter stuff is, is my own kind of processing through questions that I have. I mean, I, that's kind of how I'm wired as a teacher. That's kind of, I ask a lot of questions and I want to, get responses to the questions not that i'm necessarily given answers i just want to put questions out there and um, it seems to get some responses by people that and generate some good discussion which is what it's all about isn't it yeah, yeah it is for sure yeah ben was texting me after the the lot he was listening to the last episode that we did and he was like dude i'm so freaking mad i wasn't on that episode i loved it so much yeah dude i had so much to say that i was just like ah, oh, i wish i could talk right now but i was just listening to the episode obviously i wasn't there recording it but i was yeah. talking to a wall really intensely <laughs> <laughs> now yeah. you're here this time you got yeah. your chance well you and ben actually have a lot more in common than even me and you do because um you said you're an ex-pastor and i'd like to get more yep. into that uh, story today if we can but ben is actually um he did youth pastoring for a second um he actually has feels like he has a calling of pastor on his life as well whether it's in a house church or getting back uh pastor in another church which which he actually is attending another church right now but i don't know i feel like you guys can kind of relate on that aspect of being pastors or used to be pastors or feel like whatever pastor stuff you know <laughs> pastor <don't> know. stuff <laughs> Yeah, I felt like I got, I got, I, I feel like I received a calling in the last church that I was in and then they kicked me out of it, but the, <laughs> but the calling didn't fall off. It stuck with me. So I'm still trying to figure out how do I, knowing what I know and having my brain opened to free thoughts and not just what I've been taught, how do I pursue that calling and not also become disingenuous like the people that was, that were leading me whenever I was, you know, coming up in the faith. Yeah, what does that mean? Well, I was just saying before we started recording that we've had a friend of mine, Philip. He's one of my Patreon supporters, and he's been staying with me. He came up here to visit us from uh, down by Bristol, and he's a vicar, actually, in the church in Wales. And it's been super cool because we've been chatting. We went to a pub last night and had a great dinner and a few pints. And, you know, this whole subject of pastoral theology, in fact, I wrote a paper on Medium after we got home 
uh, yesterday because I thought, you know what, there's a lot of stuff here. I still have a heart for people in ministry. For some reason, yeah, I have yeah. a lot of issues with evangelicalism, <laughs> but um, I was a pastor for 12 years. I mean, yeah, I, I know what it's like to be in the trenches, man. So, uh, yeah, I get it. I definitely enjoy talking about stuff about, you know, pastoral theology, ministry, theology, all that stuff is still very much part of my, you know, wheelhouse, I guess. Yeah, I don't think you ever lose those passions, even if you've been uh, burnt by church, even if you don't really fit in uh, in that that type of scene. You never really lose that heart, you know. You never really lose that calling, whatever it is. Like I was a worship leader at my last church, and you know, I still write and dabble with music, and I, I, you know, I still feel that like I had a a calling to kind of do that, if that makes any sense. So that's something that I still think about periodically. Like, you know, if I were to get involved in a church again, would I want to to get back into that? But at this point in my life, I I don't think I would. But still, the option is always there, and I still think about it, and not to the extent of being pastors and everything that comes along with that like you guys do, but I kind of understand what you're saying with that. One of the things that came out of the conversation with Philip at the pub when we were talking about this is that He's deconstructed his own kind of theology coming out of evangelicalism like me, but he's still an active uh, minister, vicar of a church. And so we, we had a great discussion about this. You know, what are some of the problems within church as a whole, which we definitely agree on, but he believes in something, there's something valuable there, but he doesn't want to pass along the damage that he received when he was growing up in fundamentalism. And so that, there's a balance there. There's got to be. Uh, I think, and so we had to talk about what what is important. Is there is there anything important? Because a lot of people want to burn the whole thing down and yeah. want to have nothing to do with any of it. Which I've gone through that phase too. I can I can get I totally get it, man. Mm-hmm. I really do. I mean, I'm still in that phase. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm, I get pissed off too. There's I get triggered by stuff, and you know I'm still dealing with the the anger and the grief and the loss, and and you know I mean I spent 20 plus years of my life either as a pastor or a teacher in Bible colleges. So I've, I've, I've invested my whole life basically. Yeah. And it pissed me off that I, I, I kind of have wasted that time because I don't have a career. I don't have, you know, anything to show for it at mm-hmm. the end of all of it. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've got to deal with that. Yeah. You know? no, that's, that's, yeah that's rough. But yeah. I will say this, please. I mean, I don't know. I can just, Keep me posted on what you d- guys discover for Philip, because I, I feel like I'm in I'm in the same boat with Philip, where I'm like, I got kicked out of a church because I was labeled a troublemaker for trying to fix things that I thought were broken. But I still, I mean, after being like crapped on by evangelicalism, I still feel like church could be a good thing if we just did it right. Like for whatever reason, I still believe in it, and I feel like there's there's something there that's worth pursuing for me anyway. Uh, I just can't give up on the whole idea. Now I can, I can totally agree that eh, somewhere between like 75 and 95% of the stuff that goes on there is a little bit messed up, (laughs) but, uh, I feel like if we fixed church and made it something that I feel like it could really be something that's worth having, if you know what I mean. I definitely, I know what you're talking about. Uh, this paper that I wrote on Medium, it's called A Philosophy of Ministry for the Deconstructing Church Leader. And I that's kind of the, the angle that I took was, I said, basically, 
Uh, is it possible to construct a workable philosophy of ministry for someone who's deconstructing his or her faith, but it's still involved in church ministry? And that's a huge question, which is what Philip and I talked about, because I still, like I say, have a heart for people in ministry, but that there's a lot of qualifications there. Because like you say, there's a lot of issues, a lot of toxicity, a lot of abuse, sexual yeah. abuse, spiritual abuse. I mean, my God. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. I mean, Someone's we... a I got nothing for them, you know. There's no way I'm not. I'm not supporting that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we caught the brunt of uh, talking about like mental abuse in the church, you know, specifically yeah. me and Ben. I mean, coming out of the place that we did, I don't know 100 percent on his story, but I mean, there's a lot of manipulation, a lot of nepotism, a lot of you know, downputting stuff like that. So you know, I I totally know what you're saying when it comes to the mental abuse stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, and then you plug in the God piece because I, I've done a lot of work on this issue of kind of connecting the evangelical views of inerrancy and the authority and fallibility of the Bible with patriarchy and a, a spiritual and other kinds of abuse. Mm -hmm. And so there's a whole piece there because that, I think that feeds into a lot of how what the church has become because yeah. they're taking an, what they consider an inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative text, and then using that to control other people. And so yeah. that's a huge problem. Yeah, they take it know? a step too far where they say, the Bible is the final authority here, and I understand it better than all of you, so therefore I am the final authority here. Which is not, Absolutely. that's not how that was meant to go. You know, you're supposed to, you should always be able to evaluate and take comprehensive logical measures to evaluate scripture as you see it, not have someone who's standing over you saying, no, 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 let me just explain to you what the Bible says is, don't read it for yourself, just trust this educated word I'm about to feed you. And then that leads to an abuse of power, easy access to power, uh, potential financial abuse of people in the church. Like That opens up a whole lot of nasty doors when you switch from the Bible is an authority of the faith and I am synonymous with it because I understand it better than you. Yeah, I am the authority. And it's certainly a historic thing. That this is not this is nothing new. I mean yeah. you go back to the yeah. Catholic Church, you know, this this uh abuse of, of the Bible, selling salvation, selling indulgences on yeah. and on and on because yeah. they had the corner on that, you know, authoritative truth, as you say, go back to the Latin Vulgate, they were the only ones who could read it let alone interpret. That's so, so bad, man. I mean, that was the whole reason the uh, uh, Protestant Reformation happened, because people weren't yeah. allowed to read the Bible. People didn't have it. Is You know, you had these these uh, the Catholics who had the Holy Scriptures, and they knew all the answers, and no one else was allowed to read the, the text, from my understanding. It's and, true. Most people literate anyway you know so yeah. that, that part of the enlightenment comes a comes a an upsurge in just gen, just literacy in general and yeah. so yeah they started translating the bible into the common vernacular which caused a lot of trouble as you say mm -hmm. you know the church did not want people reading the bible in their own language no way that was heresy basically and guys were burned at the stake for it yeah and now we've got our own mini version of that going on in like westernized culture where information is so accessible. You don't even just have to go pick up a Bible and read it. You can Google 
all of the best and worst Bible verses and pull it up in about 30 seconds and start to develop your own thoughts about the Bible. And then people get scared and they're like, no, 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 Talk to your pastor about it. He knows. I mean, there's certain wisdom in having a good understanding of the whole of scripture versus just picking out nasty verses, but you still have to deal with that. You should still have people evaluating the book they believe in. It shouldn't just be one guy saying, hey, I got a degree, so listen to me. Listen to me. Well, and that's something that Philip and I talked about the other day was doing theology in community. And yeah. I've always been a big fan of that, whatever that looks like, is, like you said, discussing theology, biblical interpretation, spirituality, whatever it might be, with a group of people, because that helps to balance things out. If, if you have a, a degree of humility, of course, to uh, learn from other people, as well as hopefully they learn something from you. But um, that's not not all churches are willing to do theology in community because, like you say, it's the authority of the pastor who's in control and in charge, and <laughs> what he says goes. That's it. Yeah. So hopefully, what what happens if we disagree with the pastor in our small group? What happens then? And then you 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 basically get what we have now is people leaving the church in droves because their theological pursuit was met with an iron fist of, that's not right, you don't understand these things, versus, hey, let's talk about it. You know what I mean? The pastor doesn't say usually, let's talk about it. He usually is like, well, our denomination believes this, and in Bible yeah. college, they told me this. So it's got to be the truth. <laughs> and that's even more kookier when you get into non-denominational, because then everyone's got their own separate interpretations on everything. Yeah, but it's just as authoritative and as infallible as everything else. Yeah. <laughs> like what the hell's going on here? <laughs> when I was a Bible teacher, that was my probably my favorite thing to do was to teach the students uh the various interpretations of the Bible by different denominations, different traditions and say, "Okay, you take one passage of any pick any passage basically, let's compare first of all the way it's been interpreted across the centuries, which mm -hmm. is oftentimes radically different." And even now it's being interpreted today. And yeah. so that really opened things up because they said, wait a minute, there's multiple points of view here. This is not always, there's not always one correct interpretation. There can't be because what they, you know, interpreted in, in, in medieval times is totally different than how we interpret it today. They're using allegory and other forms of interpretation that we don't even want to talk about today. Yeah. So there's not one interpretation. There can't be. There's no way that can be. Yeah. Well, something that I've been thinking a lot about um, is the fact that even in um, ancient Hebrew culture or like um, Jewish culture, they had the option for deliberating scriptures. I mean, you had Pharisees and Sadducees who had different views on things and they would debate them and almost like they would use religion. They would take religion in a philosophical way instead of in the westernized church what we have is you have a rock-solid truth that cannot be broken it cannot be disagreed with otherwise you're not part of our fold um they would take things and look at them even things like the afterlife i mean in the new testament when some of the sadducees went to jesus and they were trying to test him on what he thought about the afterlife because even in that specific belief the Jews had different interpretations of Scripture and different thoughts on even what the afterlife was. But we can't hold a different thought on what tithing is. 
tongues or any other issue. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and our our fundamentalism, I used to think that fundamentalism was kind of the start of that sort of propositional faith, you know, that you have to believe a, a set number of things or you're not a Christian. But then Philip reminded me, he said, actually, you go back to the time of Constantine, and, you know, and the, the Nicene Creed and all, and Arius yeah. and the heresies, they, they propositionalized the faith back then. Yeah, they did. They said, look, they did. And it, it, so it's it's a longstanding thing in Christianity in general that someone in power has defined what orthodox beliefs are, in air quotes, and said, if you're inside this small circle, you're you're okay. If you're outside it, you're not okay. You're a heretic, and we're going to either burn you at the stake or excommunicate you like they did to Arius, you know, so this is actually a long-standing kind of um, movement within Christianity going way back to the, what, third, fourth century. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, it's human nature, it seems to be. Yeah. I, I find it weird that we treat theology like there's um, a specific science to it, which I'm sure that, you know, there, there is a little bit, there's a science to how to study a document, but like if you compare uh, f- our philosophical journey with the scripture and science, like science has been uh, confused before where the commonly held belief was challenged and then overturned by discovery. Like for example, a, that's what I love about science. Yeah. Like, like the earth, the earth is not the center of the universe or the earth isn't flat. People were labeled heretics like you are ridiculous. You're full of demons. You're terrible. And then it turns out actually I was kind of right. And then so science has rewrote itself yeah. over history a hundred times and religion has too, but it's just, it meets way more resistance. No, I don't know. Science has had some resistance in rewriting itself as well. Like that with whole, the earth isn't the center of the universe thing. They threw people in jail over that. So both science and religion have kind of, I mean, you still have flat earthers. Yeah, but they've had to rewrite (laughs) themselves over history as, you know, um, ignorance creeps in every once in a while and develops a solid point that is hard to challenge. And then reality comes along and challenges it Mm -hmm. and science has to rewrite itself. And I don't I think we're going to really miss the boat on theology if we don't treat it the same way as far as like. Things have changed. The world is different. Or we discover this new thing or this new idea has come along. Not saying that we shouldn't have some kind of solid baseline for our faith, but it has to be able to change to progress or else it's just stagnant and dead. Well, that's assuming you have a faith. I mean, a lot of people True. have left faith and they don't have anything. I mean, that's something I've, I've studied a lot and written a lot about is this kind of spectrum that people go all kinds of different places, man. After they leave, they leave the church. They don't always leave the faith, but sometimes they can become atheists, agnostics, angry atheists, angry theists. Yeah. You know, or they can say, now we want to reform the church. We're not going to be a part of it. We're going to reform it from outside. You know, so there's all kinds of different pe- paths that people take mm-hmm. on this journey. So I think, you know, it, we got to be careful in saying, is there one kind of faith? No, there's all kinds, man, and people with no faith as well uh, of yeah. any yeah. kind. And I mean, totally reject. My journey since leaving the church has been all over the place. I mean, I've been. I can in, attest I've, to that. It has been. <laughs> I mean, go back and listen to, you know, every five episodes. I feel like I'm in a different spot. I've 
I've been in the spot when we first started the podcast of I'm not really questioning anything, just wanting to uh, redo church and then started to put some things on the altar. Then I'm thinking about, do I really even believe in God? Now I'm at a point where, yes, I believe in God, but a lot of other things still make sense. Evolution makes sense. And there's different accounts that do make logical sense to me. So so where really am I? Do I believe in God? I believe I do, but maybe maybe I, I would I will someday find something that makes, makes more sense in God. I don't know. So that's kind of been my spectrum. It's been it's been all over the place. Yeah, I think well, I'm, I'm just kind I'm, of at the spot of having another reformation. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready for that. Yeah. Well, I was going to say too that um, it's true. We 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 go through these phases because. One of the organic, cool things about doing the podcast from, from my point of view is I've met so many people and I've learned so much and I've changed. I oh, realized yeah. how much I've changed, like you said, in the course of just doing this podcast and talking to people like you guys and so many other people. I've had atheists. I've had agnostics. I've had people that have come back to a faith in God, radically different views of God. You know, so it, I've learned so much. And I, I'm like you. I don't know exactly where I'm at. I know I'm not where I was a year or two or five years ago for sure. Mm-hmm. But where I'm going, I'm not really sure, but I don't have to know. That's the cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to keep going and see what happens. Yeah. And it's totally, you should be completely content to keep that kind of faith. That's on a journey. And we yeah. don't, we always, I mean, at gro- coming up in the faith, I was taught that there's a target and you just get as close to it as possible there's like there's a, a already defined destination. You just get as close to that as possible, and I'm I don't feel that way at all anymore. I mean, especially after leaving the church and having time to process this all myself, I have no idea where the target is. I mean, I'm just like out here running in circles until oh, this is great. I believe this. This changes my life, and then I'm gonna keep running around in circles so I find another one of those cool things. You know, <laughs> maybe there's no target. <laughs> exactly. You know, I don't think there is. It's kind of it's. It's more of just a search, not like a, a journey, I guess. Yeah. A pilgrimage. <laughs> Boom. Well, and, and you buy into these paradigms, you know, because there's the thing about, oh, we got to think outside the box. And someone said, well, I don't even have a box. You know, my box got de- uh, my box got deconstructed and apparently it's been recycled. So I don't even have <laughs> yeah. a box. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the thing is like. I'm pretty wary about ever getting back in any box. Like, I don't know if I'm trying to find the right box anymore. I'm just kind of like, boxes are not cool. Boxes are not the thing. (laughs) For me, I'm, I'm looking into every option of what truth could be. I've been going back to church again. Whoa. I've been researching different cosmologists and anthropologists I've been looking into scientific explanations, not necessarily looking into any other religions because um, just haven't, I don't know, I feel like if Christianity isn't the true religion, then I don't think there is one because... <laughs> what, it's the, either that or nothing. It's either that or nothing to me because, well, the, I have reasoning behind that. I know Be- you do, I know. Because the three main religions in the world are all based around this singular monotheistic Yahweh um, in some way or another. I mean, like Islam is like skewed and they've got their own religion now, but it's it's based out of that same um, 
monotheistic Almighty mindset. God who there's only one and he is yeah. supreme. And then you've got Islam, which is, you know, the same God that, or not Islam, Judaism, <laughs> Judaism <laughs> which is the same, the same God that we essentially worship um, just in a different way. So I feel like if Christianity is not right, then there is going to be no true religion. So I'm not, I'm not invoking that kind of aspect. I know that's what Nate is. He's searching into Eastern religions and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, just spirituality in general. Not so much with me. I'm looking more into scientific explanations and seeing if other things make sense to me. And still, you know, going to church. Uh, we we went to a church for the first time last week and liked it. And I think we're going to start going back. Um, you know, just being attenders and seeing what we think of it, but um, Sick. you know, it works for you, man. That's good. I mean, I can't, I can't set foot in the church because I'm. It's just too triggering. Yeah. Even yeah. listening to music is too triggering because the more I, the more work I'm doing on the deconstruction and then the reconstruction side, I have begun to realize that I've I've suffered tremendous amounts of damage as a child and and as a young person growing up in evangelicalism. And it, it has done a lot of damage tra- mm-hmm. traumatically. And so I, yeah. I can't help but associate those things with my past. And I know that's a lot, that's a common story with a lot of people. You have to yeah, work through the anger, through the stuff. And so you for do. me, I can't see any part of it right now. Uh, I don't right. see any desire to go back to church ever again, but you never know. No, yeah, I can, I can totally respect that. It's because, I mean, when when it's so deeply ingrained, I mean, like religion is basically when you get involved in it and you invest in it, it becomes your life. And then when you remove that, there's this giant like loss that's really hard to even get close to that area of your heart and mind without just feeling uh, anger and pain and guilt and loss for everything that happened around that. So I can totally imagine like, a worship song coming on and it's like good, good father. And somebody's like, man, that pisses me off, you know, <laughs> because it just, it gets so close to that area of your life where so much was taken from you by other people. Yeah. And, and for me, like when I say going to church again, I don't mean I'm sitting there with my hands raised high, crying <laughs> out, Abba father, you know, I'm, I'm literally standing there with my hands in my pockets in a church. <laughs> That that's what I mean when I say I'm going to and that's church. That's the level that you're at, which <laughs> I very, is totally fine. I mean it in the very literal sense of yes, I went inside of a church. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey guys, this is Keith, and you have been listening to the first out of three episodes that we're going to be doing with Clint Heacock for Mindshift Podcast. If you are interested in this, keep listening for episode two of this series, which we're going to be talking about deconstruction. And then episode three, we'll be getting into reconstruction, which is what does the, you know, thinker or believer do with what they believe after they've already worked through it all. So if you like this, uh, be psyched and pumped for what's to come. If you enjoyed it, go over to iTunes and Give us a rate and a review and subscribe and download and all that stuff. It helps us out on the podcast charts or on CastBox or over on Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast needs at. And head over to Facebook and like and follow our page. Join our group because we don't just want followers. We don't just want to get popular. We want to interact with you guys and we want to know you like you know a friend 
and you know the struggles of a friend and you know growing through this whole christian thing or religion thing or trying to figure out if we believe at all so we want to come alongside you guys on that journey but feel free to join our facebook twitter instagram hit us up at pilgrims and prodigals at gmail.com and tell us your story uh what i want to start doing is like reading stories on air so maybe hit us up with your story and what you've struggled with as an evangelical or an ex-evangelical or a churchgoer or a church lever or whatever you are on your christian walk um or just religious walk whatever it is let us know and uh get connected with us and it'll be fun man so until next time see you later